And uh, I wonder how it's going loving your enemies. Remember we talked about that last week? If you didn't have a chance to hear Jesus' teaching on how to love your enemies, that's where we were last week. And something struck me quite, quite hard right between the eyes, spiritually, not physically. Uh, I saw some of my enemies in the newspaper. And they didn't know me personally, but I saw some folks who have an ideology and a worldview and practices that so contradict Christian teaching and Christian truth. It dawned on me, that's an enemy. And I prayed for them. Sadly, I don't normally pray for my enemies when I see them in the newspaper or on the news. But I hope that you're praying for your enemies. I hope that that we're all striving to do that. That's where we were last week. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer and ask him to bless where we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount today. Let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Pray with me. Father in heaven, please help us now to make sense of your word, to love it, to feed off of it, to bask in its warmth as your words are unfolded, it gives light. Help us to, to feel the warmth of that light and as we are warmed, as we are changed, to go and live it out. We pray that we would look more like Christ after hearing his words. By your spirit, it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. What happens when you do the right thing, but with the wrong motive. What happens when you do the right thing, per se, motives are important, the right thing per se, but with the wrong motive? With the Tokyo Summer Olympics less than a week away, we're going to start our time with an example of some Olympic high divers who have one has a wrong motive, one has a right motive. I'll, I'll leave it up to you which one is which. But this opening scene from the Olympics that hasn't happened yet, it's a week away. This could happen, what I'm about to describe. This opening scene is especially for you, youth and children. If you consider yourself young, youth and children, listen in especially to what I'm about to describe of these two Olympic high divers because if you can understand the difference in these two high divers, you're actually well on your way to understanding Jesus' words for the Sermon on the Mount. All right? Parents, grandparents, young adults, you can listen in to this example, okay? All right. Let's imagine there's two Olympic high divers, athlete A and athlete B. And I don't know if you've ever seen the Olympics, but high divers go up to a 10-meter platform, which is about three stories tall, they climb up this 10-meter platform, and athletes A and B, they're competitive divers, so they're trying to jump off the platform and enter the water with certain types of flips and spins and certain types of splashes, a small splash, to impress who? The judges, right? So track with me. Athlete A goes to the top of the platform, confidently jumps off the diving board, twists and somersaults and perfectly spins with incredible rotational speed and then just disappears under the water. That trademark rip sound, that perfect, the master divers can basically have 
little to no splash. That's athlete A. Athlete B hops up to the platform, but before they jump in the water, they look over at the scoreboard and they realize they are so far behind in points at the Olympics, so far behind. They have no way of getting a medal, gold, silver, or bronze. No way, no chance. Even if they got a perfect score, there's no way for them to get a medal. So when this athlete, athlete B, jumps off the big platform, do you know what they do? Bad motives take over. They think, what's the point? I'm just going to have to jump in the water and go home. So they get ready to jump and they say, cannonball. You know what happens? A massive splash gets all over the judges. What kind of score do you think they would get? A good score or a bad score? What do you think? A bad score, right? Athlete A, the small splash, barely a splash, master diver. Athlete B, who's capable of that really small splash, decides whatever and jumps in with a cannonball, a huge splash. That distinction right there is actually the distinction that Jesus is trying to hold up for us this morning, friends. The big splash, small splash, how you enter the water. What I mean by that, Jesus today is addressing two parallel actions, two ways of giving, where one of the givers wants to call attention to themselves and make a big splash so everyone notices it, and the other type of giver gives in a such a small splash way. They're not trying to get more attention grabbing and human praise. That's kind of the the theme and feel of our passage today. So if you're younger, keep that image of these two divers in mind. And all of us, though, I want to invite you now. Look look with me at, at Matthew 6 to see what big splash giving looks like and little splash giving looks like. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. This is found on page 811 in the Bibles near the seats with you if you don't have a Bible. But let's look at Matthew chapter 6, the first four verses. Here's God's word. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Amen. I pray we would come to understand the piety that that pleases God. That example we just gave of two jumpers from an Olympic high dive, sure, the judges would like one of the divers, and the judges would absolutely hate that other diver who got them all wet. But we've got to remember there's more than just judges in the room. Any time an Olympic event's going on or an event like this, a worship service, there's more than just 
you and the pastor. There's others watching. So somebody might do the cannonball like we just described, not to make the judges happy, but to get YouTube internet celebrity status. I mean, imagine all the viral internet memes that would go out from that Olympic high diver if they did the cannonball. There's ways to do things in life to get instant attention garnered to yourself. Is there not? Jesus today is wanting us to take stock of our generosity. And what do we do with that? Do we garner attention to ourselves when we are generous? And although the passage is mainly looking at giving in in terms of kind of money and almsgiving and finances, It applies to all types of generosity we have, whether we give our resources or our time to others or our talents and help to others. All of those are in view here. But why is Jesus talking about generosity all of a sudden? If you've been with us the last few few weeks, what's that phrase that Jesus has been repeating over and over? He's been saying, you heard that it was said, but I say to you. He didn't say that in our passage today. We've got to note this before we get into the passage. We are in a brand new section of the Sermon on the Mount. So if you put your eyes back down on your copy of the scriptures, notice that from way back in verse 21 all the way through verse 48, this phrase, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you, Jesus was unpacking the law and demolishing bad ideas people had about the law, shallow understandings, misapplications, and he was cleaning it up and filling it full with right application and right understanding, namely focusing on the heart. And here, we don't see Jesus talking in that kind of language. He's saying something else that's about to be repeated in several paragraphs. So put your eyes, look at, look at how verses in chapter 6, look at how verse 2, verse 5, verse 7, verse 16 Look at the way all those verses begin. You see that? That literary marker, that literary phrase. It says, and when you fill in the blank. And he talks about giving and praying and fasting. And there's another repeated phrase that keeps happening over and over again. You see it in verse 4. You see it at the end of verse 6. You see it at the end of verse 18. It's this phrase that your father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus has shifted his sermon from aiming at the law, kingdom ethics. He's defining God's people. They live this way. And now he's putting his attention on God's people do things this way when it comes to practicing their righteousness. So he's going to talk about giving and prayer and fasting. And Lord willing, that's the next three topics we'll hit the next couple Sundays. Today, giving, then prayer and fasting. And you might be wondering, why doesn't Jesus talk about singing? You know, singing is such a common thing in worship gatherings. Why doesn't he talk about the Lord's Supper? Well, that hadn't been instituted yet. But he doesn't talk about singing because he doesn't need to necessarily. By talking about giving and prayer and fasting, he gives us enough principles here that they can be infused into all of our righteous, religious, pious practices. And we want to look today at one of those, and that's giving. What Jesus is doing in this passage, he wants us to turn the volume all the way down to zero on our pride when we worship him and do religious acts. 
turn our volume down to zero on pride. And he does that by showing us two contrasting examples of, of giving. In fact, volume helps us track with the passage. There's a, there's a loud type of generosity found in verses one and two. And this is the structure of the text if you, if you wanna take notes. There's loud generosity found in verses one and two of our passage. And we wanna see why it's so loud. And by loud, I mean noisy in terms of how prideful it is. But then there's a second type of generosity. That's quiet generosity. This is found in verses three and four. And by quiet, I mean how humble it is, how godly, how God-seeking it is. So loud generosity, verses one and two, this is negative examples. Quiet generosity, verses three and four, these are positive examples. They're meant to be kept together in Jesus' teaching. And as we work through this passage, I hope to show you something of the motive and the method and the outcome within those loud and quiet types of generosity. And I would encourage you today, if you're listening, to try to evaluate the ways you tend to give. Whether you feel like you're a generous person or not with your time, talents, and resources, use this as a lens to evaluate your giving tendencies and see if this might encourage you to give more in a particular way that pleases God. I wonder if you've ever noticed God's not necessarily pleased with just the amount of money you give or the amount of time you give. He's pleased with a certain type of way you give it and motive you have when you give it. That's what we're gonna see. This is incredible. Look with me. Let's look first at loud generosity. Let's look at verse one. It says, beware. Jesus sets this tone of warning. Be on alert. Beware. Beware of what? Well, he says it there in verse one. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. And if you stop there, you're in big trouble. Beware of practicing your righteousness in front of other people. Does that mean no church gatherings? I mean, it's a righteous thing to be listening to a sermon and singing and doing what you've been doing. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. We can't stop there. That's, that's not the end of the verse. The Lord knows that we're a social people. Look at what he says there. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. And he keeps going and he says, in order to be seen by them. That's the loud motive that Jesus wants to rid you of. That's the danger that he wants to warn you of. If we think about giving in the first century, people would see it. People would often see it. Do you remember Mark chapter 12, verse 41, when Jesus was teaching? It says, he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. The scriptures proved to us right then and there, you could see people giving in the temple complex in the first century, in the synagogue. You could see it. You could actually see how much they were giving. It wasn't that the offering box was hidden in some room that you, you went back there and nobody knew what you put in. Everybody could see what you were doing. In fact, Jesus uses those moments of that widow who gave all that she had to teach his disciples. So it's not that it's sinful if someone sees you giving. 
Again, that's not what verse 1 is talking about. That's inescapable at times. Rather, it's the particular motive in the giver that Jesus is highlighting here. So you can see that in verse 1, that key select package of words. Practicing your righteousness before other people, what? In order to be seen by them. Or if you keep your eyes down on verse 2, it says that they may be praised by others. That's what Jesus is taking aim at. It reminds me of what the Puritans have said in some of their writings. They would say things like, under the fair leaves of a tree, there may be a worm. Under the fair leaves of your righteous deeds, there might be this worm of bad motives. I mean, we've seen this as early as Cain and Abel in in the Bible, right? Cain had bad motives that weren't wholly true to the Lord. Well, here, there's some bad motives, and the bad motives Jesus sees that are so loud and obnoxious to his ears, even though other people might not think it's loud, God sees this loud motive in the hearts of givers who try to be seen by others, who actually want human praise. If you put your eyes on verse 2, in verse 2 when it says that they may be praised by others, that word in the original language for praised by others is related to the word doxology or glory, to glorify. In other words, it says in verse 2 that they may be glorified, honored, extolled, magnified by other human beings. They would receive glory from other human beings, those who would give with a, a loud motive of pride. This can be so deadly. Do you remember someone who was struck dead in the book of Acts, chapter 12, for loving the glory that comes from other people, the accolades? In Acts 12, Herod puts on his royal garments. He goes out in front of the people. They start shouting, the voice of a God, not of a man. Do you remember that in Acts 12? And what does God do? He strikes him dead in that moment. And the scriptures say, because he did not give glory to God. He was trying to absorb the glory for himself. Do you believe that that seeking the glory of other people to come to you and stop there, be an end of itself stopping with you, do you believe that that is a rival competitor to God and his glory? I hope you do. You have to think that way for this passage to make sense. John chapter 5 verse 44 Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and he says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? I wonder if you've listened to the motive, the sound of that echo chamber in your heart when you have opportunities to be generous. What's it sound like? Is it loud? Is it prideful? I recall when I was very prideful about two years ago, in my giving, extremely loud, extremely prideful because I got a letter in the mail from the Texas Sheriff's Association. Maybe you've seen these, right? I got a letter from the Texas Sheriff's Association. At first I thought I was in trouble or something, but I started to read it and they were saying all these wonderful things about good citizens. They didn't know me, but they said, I I must be a good citizen. Would you be willing to give to us? 
And I'm kind of dismissing it halfway, thinking I, I pray for our law enforcement, I do different things. But then there was something at the bottom of the letter. It said, if you give to us, we're going to give you this Texas Sheriff's Association badge, this decal, you can put it on your car, you can put it in your glove box. And all these loud, prideful motives went off in my heart. I thought, this might be worth giving them 20, 25 bucks. That was the minimum amount. Because if I ever get pulled over, the cop's going to see that wonderful, ooh, you give to the Sheriff's Association of Texas. You're on our side. I'm going to let you go. That's what I started to think. And it was so intoxicating to think, wow, anytime I get pulled over, this is going to be my, my card, my get-out-of-jail-free card. So I gave to them. This was 2018. So I still see in my glove box this 2018 Sheriff's Association sticker. It's still on my registration in the car. I'm thankful that it's not on the back of my car because I started to see the pride and vanity of that. And the next year, they sent me another letter with a new year on the decal. And I thought, later that day, I, I, I saw a few cars that had multiple years of stickers on the back. Maybe you have. And it's not sinful to give to those things, but it exposed this loud motive in my heart that really wasn't concerned about helping and supporting law enforcement financially. It was just a loud motive for myself. This is just good for me. Can you detect the times when there is just this volume that's turned up so loud, maybe nobody else hears it but God, that you're just doing what you're doing in generous ways just to have a motive that, that would boomerang back to yourself? Jesus wants to get rid of loud motives. He also wants to get rid of loud methods. So if you have loud generosity, most likely it's not just a loud motive, it's a loud method. And that method is actually seen in verse 2. Look again at verse 2. Jesus says, Thus, when you give to the needy, negative example here, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. Jesus goes ahead and names it for what it is. It is hypocritical to give with loud, prideful motives. Hypocrites, those who are devoid of, of genuineness, a word related to being an actor, a stage actor in a play. In fact, 17th century pastor Thomas Watson said, the hypocrite or the stage player, quote, has gone a step beyond the moralist and dressed himself in the garb of religion. He is a pretender to faith, but he makes use of it rather for a cloak than a shield. Close quote. Hypocrisy twists things, doesn't it? Hypocrites look devoted to God on the outside, but they're actually more devoted not to God and his cause. They're actually more devoted to the eyes of others being put on them. And we know the New Testament condemns this especially in the workplace. Maybe you've heard of a passage like Colossians 3.22. When you serve your earthly masters, don't do it by way of what? I service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And not just in our forms of employment. We can be hypocrites in our religious, righteous, pious deeds. That's why Jesus is speaking about it here. He knows hypocrisy can splash over into all kinds of areas of your life. It's ugly anywhere it shows up, but especially sinful and heinous and deceptive when it shows up in your righteous deeds, 
That's what Jesus takes aim at. He says, did you notice the method he's, he's saying a hypocrite would employ? Look there in verse 2. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. This means don't broadcast what you do in a way that's in trying to draw attention to yourself. Don't draw unnecessary attention to yourself. It's fitting that we would use the common phrase, you've heard it, don't toot your own horn. Don't toot your own horn. Sometimes, though, the, the horn is tooted for you, isn't it? Sometimes there's that bell ringing charity bucket outside of Walmart or Target or HEB or Walgreens during the holidays. There's a charity, there's someone ringing a bell, they're already tooting the horn for you, all you got to do is give, people are going to notice, they're going to notice, they're staring you down as you walk in. In those moments, it can be hard to think rightly about giving, but Jesus is helping us think about never trying to impress someone else or have the fear of man or hope for the praise of man in our giving. Do you think in moments like that, what I just described in the holidays, do you think of those moments as times when, I wonder what somebody else is going to think about me? Jesus is saying, stop that. That's so loud. That's so noisy before the Lord to be thinking about so much about what others are going to think of you. That principle of sound no trumpet means even don't be afraid if your trumpet doesn't sound in front of someone else when they expect you to be sounding your trumpet. It can be very subtle to toot your own horn, can it? When you're generous, whether you're helping someone move to a new home, whether you're giving to a charity or you're giving within church, it can be very subtle to toot your own horn, to try to gain praise or even to try to prevent others from doubting you. We talked about enemies last week. Sometimes it's very tempting to want to toot your own horn a little bit in front of your enemies to spite them. So whether it's in church or in the streets, be watchful for those subtle ways to toot your own horn. It doesn't mean that you're trying to get everyone's attention. It might be as subtle as you just want that one person to notice. Maybe it's that one person in your family or that one person in our church. Maybe it's just one of the pastors. I really want one of them to see me doing this, fill in the blank. Don't toot your own horn. You may think it's just a soft little blast of a trumpet, but it's so loud and obnoxious before the Lord, and it has a horrible outcome. Did you see the outcome at the end of verse 2? And it even says it in verse 1. The outcome of loud motives and loud methods like that is, as verse 1 says, then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Why? Verse 2 tells us why you get no reward from being generous like that. Did you see it in verse 2? Do you see the why? It says, truly I say to you, they have already received their reward. Huh. Pseudo-piety, ostentatious giving, those kind of acts will, will win some crowd noise or some pleasing praises from others or even just one person, but then that's all you get. You've already got your reward. And what you got was so fleeting. That's what sin is. That's what sin does. It, it promises something, 
but what you get, even if the promise comes true, is so fleeting, you're left even more empty than when you started. You're left craving even more. Sadly, loud motives and loud methods, this loud generosity results and ends with God pulling back his hand of wanting to have given you a reward, but pulls it back because you chose a different reward. Here's where the whole passage takes a turn, though, and it turns the volume down, and there's a way to actually give quietly. This is the second idea here, quiet generosity. We're going to see that here in verse 3. But before we take this turn into verse 3, we just have to pause and ask ourselves, how in the world could someone go from this loud generosity to suddenly being humble and quiet about it? Well, you're in a Baptist church, and this is a sermon, so let me use the word you're going to hear often, gospel. Gospel is the means by which you might become a loud giver to be a quiet giver. If you're new to church and you hear people use the word gospel, there is so much stuffed and packed into that word. It has everything to do with the person and work of Christ. You see, God knows that he created us as being, he's the ultimate giver, we're a receiver, but we're made in his image, so we're able to give other things to other people. We're made in his image. As Corinthians tells us, what do you have that you didn't receive? I mean, anything we do have came from him. But the Bible tells us God created us in wild generosity. He's given us a world to inhabit, dominion to take, relationships to have, all these wonderful things to cultivate, a relationship with him he gives us that we can serve, love, know, worship him. But you know what we do? Pride takes over. And rather than giving to others to please God or giving back to God, honoring and thanking him, we do what verses 1 and 2 just described in a myriad of ways. We want simply praise and thanks to stop with ourself. We want to short-circuit the the boomerang of praise that would go back to God because he gave it all in the first place. And just like our first parents, Adam and Eve in the garden, all of us have turned inwardly on ourselves and tried to make the praise of other people accrue to us. We've actually, as the Bible describes, set ourselves against God. We incur his wrath because of that, because he's holy and perfect. We're not. We don't need to act like we are God or we're the ultimate source of gifts. We don't need to rob him of glory and praise. The scriptures are very honest and they say that every person has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And God will punish in hell all those who have ever tried to rob him of his glory. But God is such a good giver Despite our rebellion, he loves his enemies. He gives them an opportunity for salvation in the cross of Christ. And Jesus came and willingly suffered and died in the place of all those who would turn away from that, that prideful rebellion and trust the Lord's sacrifice in Christ's death and resurrection. That's what the gospel news is about. It's about seeing that, trusting in that, repenting of sin, putting your faith in that, and you become transformed as a byproduct. It doesn't mean that you're perfectly generous the rest of your life. 
But it does mean that you now side with God against your sin of trying to be a a glory thief for yourself. And you're actually with God trying to help others praise him more as you praise him more and you help others praise God. You're all about his glory. That all comes from a transformation of seeing the gospel of Christ and clinging to it by faith. That's the only thing that makes the hinge possible. When we move from verses two to three, we can be tempted to think, okay, I'm just gonna live this way and not that way. It has to be the Holy Spirit empowering you because you've been forgiven in the gospel of Christ. You know God's grace and you now want to live for his glory. It makes you a quiet giver. Let's look at that up close in verse three. In quiet generosity, let's just first begin with a quiet method because that's where the text goes and then we'll look at the motive. Look at verse three, look at the method employed. If you're gonna be someone who has such a love for Jesus, you would give in a quiet way, not for yourself. Verse three says this, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. This expression means the opposite of tooting your own horn, the reverse of attention garnering praise to self, So think stealth military aircraft, the stealth bomber that goes in, it completes the mission, relatively unseen. The only people who knew about it were the ones who sent it in. You swoop in, you accomplish the mission unseen, it's done. It wasn't about how cool you looked when you did it. It wasn't about how many people patted you on the back for doing it. You wanted the mission to be completed for a higher, a more noble cause. It reminds me to to stop and thank those of you who've given water over the last few weeks. Some of you didn't let your left hand know what your right hand was doing uh, because your right hand was holding car keys, your left hand was trying to carry a big thing of water in. And you brought water to the church when we needed it and you didn't worry about coming to the office to tell each person in the office, I brought waters, look how much I brought. You didn't put your name with post-it notes on the water in there. You just quietly gave. It was so helpful. I wonder if you noticed the quiet giving on the back of your bulletin today. Look on the back of your bulletin right now. Flip it over. See if you can spot the quiet generosity. See it on the back of your bulletin? Down there at the back of the announcements, the matching fund. That's being matched by an anonymous donor. We're not flashing a person's name in front of you every week. What a quiet way to be generous. Now, sure, that anonymous donor could have just given $100,000 in a match, which that's what they're matching. They could have just given $100,000, said nothing about it, stayed anonymous, and we all find out, whoa. But that, that quiet giver actually was even a little bit more wise and intentional, and they tried to think of a way, how could... How could we get church members to also be giving and and double the gift, all the while staying quiet? That's a good example of, of giving quietly. Have you learned the art of anonymous giving? Now, you may be thinking, I can't match $100,000 to anything. I can't jump off a high dive that high and give that much money. I'm not asking you, How high can you jump? I'm asking you, how small can you make the splash? So even if you're giving in a very, what you would consider small way, can you do it quietly? 
Who needs to know? Why do you need to tell them? As pastors, we don't know how much you give. Our financial secretary does, but she doesn't come tell us each person how much they give. We don't go around asking, did you help this member this week with your time and talents? Did you help them do that, do that? We trust that quiet generosity is happening all over the place in our congregation. We know it does. Sometimes we see it. Remember, it's not a sin if it is seen, but if it's meant to be seen and you're wanting all that attention, then it is sin. Strive to be a quiet giver, whether it's with a friend or a foe, whether it's time, talents, resources, or money. Give in a way that you don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, be discreet. You could give with both hands out front in a public, visible way, or you could give discreetly. You could give in a way that's behind the scenes. Jesus personifies the hands. The the hands don't really know what's going on, but he's trying to make the point, give discreetly, give quietly. That's a quiet method, and he links it up with this quiet motive. Did you see the quiet motive in verse 4? Verse 4 says, so that your giving may be in secret. Now, some Bible scholars would say secret, every time secret is used in this passage and in the passage about prayer and in the passage about fasting, secret always means the human heart. It's not a geographical location. I'm not here to split hairs over it, whether it's the human heart or a more quiet, unseen place, but that, that has great merit to it. Verse 4 says, so that your giving may be in secret. You have given in such a way you're not garnering praise to yourself intentionally. You are giving in a quiet way to honor God. The motive is to honor God. I like how one Bible scholar, Dr. Pennington, he's a professor I had a few years back, he said, speaking of this passage in the book of Matthew, when you give in secret, giving in secret doesn't mean it's not some new prescription requiring cash only. You can't give in a check. Nothing can be traced back to anything tax deductible. has to just be anonymous cash gifts. He went on to, to say it doesn't mean when you help someone on the street, you've got to put a ski mask over your face so they don't know who you were and you give and you go, you move on. It's not what he means. Verse 4, when it says your giving may be in secret, that means shh, turn the volume down. Try to figure out a way to have a motive where you give so that the fewest people who need to know about it know about it. Because your heart's been transformed with the gospel and you already have a good theology. You know that God is the giver and he sees all things. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He sees everything. It allows you to give in secret so that even if no one knows, but just you and your heart, you know God sees that. As Christians, we understand that seeking to do more than just the right thing, but with the right motive, is what God is after. After all, wasn't it loud, obnoxious giving with suspect motives that helped spark the Reformation? Tetzel, you remember church history? A coin in the coffer springs, a soul from, or coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs kind of caught Luther's attention. You can go as far back as you want in human history. There's always this temptation to to give with suspect motives or suspect rewards. 
but reward is actually a motive in the text. You can't miss that, that R word in the passage. Did you see that word reward in the passage there? It says it at the end of verse four. It's a promise. The father who sees in secret will reward you. So loud giving results in no reward. You've already got everything you're going to get. Quiet generosity results in a reward from the hand of God. Some of you, you have innocent hearts when you do this. But I hope that you'll grow in maturity. Some of you set yourselves up against God and his rewards as if, I don't know which thing I'm supposed to focus on, God or his rewards. I think he's going to be displeased if I think about his rewards. What do I do? Is it, is it impure if I start thinking about rewards he might give me? Let me put some balm on your soul and say, hey, wait a minute. God is infinitely wise. He's not going to give you rewards in such a way where it's meant to compete with his glory and it's going to ruin your sanctification. What if God in his wisdom, the reward is more intimacy and fellowship with him? What if that's the reward? Would that help you to think, okay, it's good to seek the reward, then the reward might be knowing him more. Don't tie yourself up in knots. Trust the Father's wisdom here that he will reward you. Seek the lasting reward that he gives. All of our deeds will be brought into judgment. God will reward us for the secret things we do, whether good or evil. We can trust that as 1 Samuel 26, 23 says, the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. So maybe your temptation is that you don't seek to give or be that generous because you think it's just a loss for me. I'm not really in it for the praise of man, but I don't know if I can give that away. That's gonna take away from my time or my resources. Hello, God wants to give to you. Why hold back from getting more from him? This passage actually encourages us to be a giver. This is why Proverbs 19:17 says, "Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed." So it's not this impersonal cosmic karma that's coming after you if you give and you can expect this balance of things to come back to you later. No, it's a living personal God. Do you trust what verse 4 says? Let's close today on this outcome in verse four. Let's just land right here. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the promise, brothers and sisters. Wake up to it. God will reward you for quiet generosity. He sees at all times because he's there at all times. The hypocrite fools other people, but not God who sees the heart. You will be hard-pressed to give so secretly, so discreetly and quietly that somehow your heavenly Father doesn't see it. Humble yourself. God is the capital giver, capital G giver. You know that he's already given you what you have to give. And even if you give it away, he wants to give you more. Can you see that overflowing generosity of God, his love, his grace, his mercy? He wants you to just be a conduit of giving. Whether that's when you visit orphans and widows in their affliction and you keep yourself unstained from the world, whether that's when you give financially, whatever type of generosity you are doing, God wants you to be the conduit of grace. This is thrilling. 
God is not after your wallet, your money per se, in and of itself. He's after those things so that he can give you more reward. He wants to lavish on you. Why oppose him? Why resist him? Why choose instead the fleeting wind of human praise? We could summarize it all by saying prideful, loud generosity is contrasted here with quiet, humble generosity. Which one marks your life? The passage is a wonderful encouragement and a warning. And you may never find yourself at the top of an Olympic high dive, but it was never about the height of the jump anyway. Remember, it's about how you're entering the water. Are you aiming for that quiet, small splash in every opportunity? Keep the volume of pride low. Give quietly. Give generously for the glory of God. Isn't it his glory that what you seek after is is always his glory anyway? I mean, what else could you seek besides his glory? Let's give quietly for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your generosity. Help us to grow as humble givers. We want to know you more, Lord. Help us to grow as we look to your great love and the steadfastness of your son, Christ. It's in his name we worship and pray this morning. Amen.